0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Hey, open your Bibles, Matthew for me. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 6. We are in part three of our series. I was wondering, we're just answering some questions that I know that we see throughout the course of the year as we pray for people, as we get prayer requests and we talk to people. And so we talked about, uh, I was wondering how to handle pressure week one, how to handle anxiety. Today, we're gonna talk about how do I establish and maintain family values in this world that we live in? And so, um, we're gonna look at the scripture. We're not gonna look specifically at particular values. You'll see them in there. Hopefully, you'll do a little bit reading on your own. I'll give you the passages there. But we're gonna talk about what God's expectation is and what that looks like. I mean, because there's things pulling on us all the time, this world that we live in. You know as well as I know, this world does not operate the way God intended to operate. And so, he's got something specific he wants us to do and to be about. So let's take a look, starting in Matthew 6. Probably the most famous sermon Jesus ever taught. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I love this sermon in particular in 2016 my wife and I we went to uh, Israel and we actually stood on top of this place the Mount of Beatitudes and just as our guide was telling us about the background and the culture and the story here it just came to life and uh, then we went and took a group uh, last year to Israel we did the same thing and just so you know in November of 2020 we're taking another group of tree lifers if you're able to go we'll get more information soon save your money you got a year and a half to get ready for it but it really came alive to me in that moment, I could just see Jesus standing there on top of the hill, looking down the hillside at the mass of, of humanity that had gathered. He did not go there to teach the mass of humanity. They just gather everywhere they hear he was. But he's really teaching this to his disciples, his 12 disciples, with the people behind him. And he's using them kind of as an illustration to teach them something. And what he's doing in this moment, he's really trying to dig down deep in them, clear away some dirt, if you will, and lay or establish a foundation on a value system, I believe, that would be contrary to the culture of that day or to the things that they had been hearing. And so I believe that we can take the same thing away, and I believe that's obviously why he spoke it, not just for them, but for us as well. And so we're going to take a look in this passage, and let me read that for you, and we're going to dig out some things as we talk about family values. So it says this, starting in verse one, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And to this, I just want to say, how did Jesus know that there'd be Instagram and Facebook and all that, that we live, right? We portray something on there about our life that eh, probably always is not necessarily what it is to be. So if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others, seen and honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. That's the reward you're going to get. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right... Uh, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And let me break this down for you. And really what Jesus is doing is he is establishing some values in his followers, and he's teaching a radical message because up until that point in time, everybody had followed an existing system. And even in that moment, it was from the Old Testament the rabbinical law, and even in that moment, Jesus was saying the game has changed. The game's changing all the time, and he's trying to establish a different set of values than what they previously knew or how they began to live their life. And so the, the reality is in life for you and I, it's hard to know how we're doing. I mean, I mean, that's a like, How are we doing as a family? Because our, our tendency is to compare ourselves with somebody else and how they're doing. And the truth is, today, that's really hard because the circle that we have now is so much greater than it was years ago. And it's hard to compare yourself when you're looking on Facebook and Instagram and you're seeing all these things that people are seemingly doing, but we know they're not really all that way. But yet, we tend to compare ourselves to see how we're doing in relationship to other people. I think God has a better way. I think God never intended it for it to be that way. And let me illustrate this way. Speaking of Mother's Day and families, I remember my two girls are on the front row there with my wife. Uh, My eldest will be 20 next week. That makes me feel old. Callie be 20 next Sunday. And then my youngest, 18, she's fixing to graduate high school this year. Thank God. And uh, (laughs) praise the Lord. And so, uh, you know, but I remember reminiscing today and going back through pictures or, you know, I posted something for my wife, but going back to when they played sports. I'm a sports guy. I love it. I eat, sleep, drink. Uh, My middle name's ESPN. And just so you know that. So I... I love sports and everything about it. So I was excited when I had kids because I couldn't wait to relive my glory days through them. And so um, from the time that they could walk, we were playing sports and and we had everything that you could imagine ball-wise. And and so I was super excited when they first were able to start playing. Signed them up right away. Got them in leagues like soccer and softball and everything age-appropriate and obviously all the way up as as long as we could. But I remember the first time, I believe it was Callie because she's the oldest, going to a ball game. And it was a, a, a little coach pitch. or I don't don't think we did the tee ball. I think we did coach pitch. And uh, so after the game was over, um, she came walking over and I said, good job, honey. You guys really won that game. And she looked at me and she said, dad, she goes, the coach said that nobody wins. We don't keep score. And I looked at her like, what planet are you from? Because when I was a kid, we kept score. You didn't win unless you won. All right. You got a trophy because you won something. You did something. And I don't know where all that changed, but nonetheless, I'm looking at her and I'm saying, No, honey, you won the game. And she's like, dad, the coach. I said, just let me be your scorekeeper, all right? I said, I'm your official scorekeeper. After every game, when you get in the car, you ask me, I will tell you the truth if you won or if you lost, no matter how good or how bad it was. I am your father. Honey, your father is your official scorekeeper from now on, no matter what. And I remember when Camry was playing basketball and we were able to be a little bit more involved and we were um, team parents for one game or something like that. And we got to bring all the snacks, right? After the game was over, you meet, you gather, and you give out juice boxes or Gatorade or uh, whatever you can give them snack-wise. And we were standing there, and I remember handing everything out. And um, I, I remember looking at, at, at Camry, I believe it was, and said, good job, you guys won the game. And so then a little girl said, no, they, little girl said, no, they don't, we don't keep score. A little girl we're hand snacks to, we don't keep score. And before I could take her snack back... Um, uh, <laughs> They looked at her and said, no, my dad does, (laughs) my dad does. (laughs) Official scorekeeper, right? And I was thinking that, I remember those days and those were fun days for me and you know, uh, their father was their official scorekeeper and what we need to realize is when we give our lives to Jesus, God becomes our scorekeeper. And I think it's important for us to understand that because we give that role, if you will, scorekeeper, to everybody else and it really becomes hard to know if you're winning because everyone scores differently. And we have to understand how God keeps score as to how the world keeps score, how the people keep score and what they're scoring because we're all different, to be honest with you. And God keeps score in line with his value system and who he's created us to be and what he's created us to do where the world has one that's changing constantly and it's changing all the time. And the question is, are we winning as individuals and are we winning as a family? And it's hard to know if we're winning depending on where you're looking. Are we winning as a family Are we winning at the married thing? Am I winning at the follower of Christ thing? Am I winning at the financial thing? And sometimes those things seem to compete with each other. The family thing, the married thing, the dad thing, the mom thing, the financial thing. Those things seem to compete with each other and it's really hard to keep score. And I think the hardest part today is that we have constant reminders of everybody else's score. I mean, we're seeing what we would think would be wins and and people. And here's the challenge too. Our circle of people is much bigger today than it was back in the day. I remember back in the day before social media and all that kind of stuff, and now you're seeing everybody's score, if you will, out loud, out live. I remember you just had a small circle of people And it made you feel better because you weren't compared to all these people you don't even know, living, all these celebrities or whatever it may be, living halfway around the world and keeping their scores in your face every day. You were just around a bunch, and you would purposely get around people that you knew you were doing better than because you'd feel better that way, right? You had a smaller group of people to compare yourself to, but not so today. It's like the game is changing, and we have so many other things trying to keep score, and we have to remember that God has something for us. But it's hard when we're looking everywhere else because... They really weren't gifted with your gift, with your purpose. See, we're not all playing the same game. That's what we have to understand. And we don't have the same giftings, calling, situations, but we look at them and wonder if life is really that good for them or that much better than mine because we are looking the wrong places. And our standard of comparison, again, is not what it used to be because today, it's so much more with technology, with Facebook and YouTube, and the game has changed. And it's nearly impossible, it seems like, to feel good about yourself for any length of time because standards have just shifted. The game has changed. Now, in this passage in Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went up to the top to speak to his disciples and everybody else gathered. And what he was trying to do was he was trying to dig out of them, the old way of thinking, and create a foundation for them to build on, and that was his values, that you can build your life on his values. But he had to dig away a couple things first, and he needed a a solid ground to build on. Now, understand, whenever Jesus has a chance to meet with you, and he always wants to, let's just say back in this moment of praise and worship, my heart, my hope is that you open yourself up, but when you realize that when you really connect with God, something changes in you. I mean, how do you know that you've really made a connection with God because of goosebumps on your arm or because you just maybe feel a little bit better or the music got you hopping or something like that? Can I tell you how you really know you've connected with God as when you're examining your values and lining them up with His? When all of a sudden that you realize that maybe some of the things that you were thinking and doing aren't the things that He would think and do and maybe you felt like you've released something now, repented, maybe made an adjustment. Not because He's brought this conviction on you but because in the presence of God, your heart is to become like God. And so your values are challenged. In fact, Jesus is challenging the value system of the day. The first things he'll do, I think at times, will just challenge you when you come to him and your value system, so he wants to build and strengthen those. And isn't it interesting to me that some of the first things that, that, that Jesus did when he came was challenged. Not just, he wasn't just challenging the world's value system because we would say, oh yeah, that's a lot different than ours. Understand what Jesus is doing here. He's challenging the religious value system because the church over time can easily adopt in the world system. And it's different than God's. And so sometimes He has to dig some things out. See, our families can easily compromise because of what the world's doing and other families that we're seeing and trying to get their approval or their acknowledgement. Our value system, we can weaken or compromise it to fit in there. The church is no different. And so, what Jesus comes to do initially is He comes to challenge not the world's value system, but the church's value system because we need to be reminded. That our heavenly Father's keeping score, and that's what matters—not what this earth or what this world's doing. And so Jesus does that; He's challenging the value system of the religious, and so He begins to change the game. See, Jesus seems less concerned about playing the game right, and more concerned about playing the right game. I mean, think about that for a moment, because what we all try and do is understand the game the world's saying, the world has established and trying to play their game, and Jesus says, "No, no, 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 we don't play that game." quit working and trying to play that game right, you're playing the wrong game. You need to be playing the right game. And so he's going and reemphasizing the value system that has been established by God. The truth is some of us or some of our families are playing the wrong game. And we spend a lot of our lives trying to figure out how to play the game right. So the obvious question then is when it comes to you and our family, is, is it that we are playing not playing the game right, it's that we're not playing the right game, and Jesus is trying to do that, because wouldn't it be tragic to spend your life getting good at a game you were never supposed to play, and you played to win the approval of people, and you play to be good at something that isn't good for you, and the approval of people that they really can't do anything for you, and we get good at winning, but at what, or at what cost, and it's so different today, especially with the things we've already just talked about that are happening in our life. I remember a simpler time when we were kids, going back to my kids' ages, and I remember it makes me think about when I was a kid. Things have changed a lot since I was a kid. And you remember, if you ever even played a game because you were, you were outside from sunup to sundown, right? Mom said, come home when it gets dark, right? And you come home. It's different now, right? And so it's just interesting, even the games have changed today. And so I was thinking about this, the games today, even the games that when I was a kid, when I was a kid, it seems like the games had meaning. Like they're maybe even trying to teach you something or maybe you would learn something, get something of value from them. I don't know if you ever played these games, but remember the never ending game of Monopoly that nobody ever really wins. You just get tired of playing right? But didn't Monopoly teach you how to handle money? It seems like they're trying to teach you how to handle money, and you'll, you'll land on a square, and get a card that talked about tax. They're trying to tax you as a kid already, right? And that. And then, you know, and what they should have changed is the get-out-of-jail-free card. They should have made it more severe. Maybe it would have kept some of us out, you know, on a different trajectory in life. But you remember the games. I remember games like Scrabble, where you actually had to spell. Instead of spell check, right, you had to learn some things or I thought about this one, about the game Operation. You ever play the game Operation, teach about bones and stuff? You don't dare want to play a game about anatomy today. That's just, you don't want to do that. That's a, that's a whole thing that we have to, but it taught you something. Today it's different. What about the game like a battleship strategy? It just seemed like, even the video games were a little bit different, right? I mean, it seemed like there were noble causes, like when I, I was playing, right? You're rescuing princesses, or you're, you're saving the earth from space invaders, or centipedes or whatever it might be, right? My wife's favorite is Frogger, trying to get the frog across the street without getting run over by a car, you know? It's it's different today, it's like, wow. The game's today, games are changing. Times are changing, the game is changing. And Jesus is trying to establish here, it's not about playing the game right, it's about are you even playing the right game anymore? And that's what we need to ask ourselves the question. Because you can be playing the game right and succeed, financially, materially, relationally, status, power, position. But if you don't do it for the right reasons, then it's not right. So in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, several times he sets up a statement by saying, you've heard it said. You'll see that about six times. He'll say, now you've heard it said. Now he's gonna address something here and then he'll come and he's talking about referring to the old rabbinical law and then he'll come say, but I would say, let's take a look, Matthew five twenty one. Here's what it says. I'm sorry, yeah, you know what, you're right. No, Matthew 5.21. Let's go there. Matthew 5.21. You got Matthew 5.21. Let me get that out there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Matthew 5.21. Let's do that one. Where am I? What is this? Am I playing the right game or did the air conditioner blow? You know, the air conditioner blew my page. Let me start. Matthew, you had it right. Thank you. They had it right. I appreciate it. Matthew 5. But thank you for switching it. Even that, like, no. You're wrong, Pastor. We're going to stay right here. But thank you for your obedience there. There you go. Matthew 3 5. Can we just give a big shout out to those guys? They're so awesome back in that booth. We appreciate them. You guys are so good. The, the AC did blow page over. We'll get there in a second. So hold that thought. Okay. So let's listen to what he's saying. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now we're in, or we're, we started in chapter 6, now we're in chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, for the, uh, who mourn for they will be comforted. And what he's talking about here, he's talking about that right from the start, Jesus says, it's not those who look like they have it all together or look like they're winning who are the most blessed. But that's what we think because it's where we keep and score from. So Jesus says, not everybody that looks like they're winning or they have it all together are the ones that are most blessed. And he goes and says this in verses five through seven, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. Well, how can you be blessed when you're hungry and thirsty? For righteousness sake, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So within each of these statements, we call these the Beatitudes, which means the blessings. So Jesus is giving a new definition of Blessing. He's redefining blessing back to the original game, if you will, as God intended. He's giving us a new definition of blessing. When you look at what he defines as a blessing, notice that it is very contrary to the cultural values. Because the cultural values are based on external things, but Jesus says his values are based on internal things. Let's play the right game. So he's talking about changing the definition of blessing based on external values to what happens on the inside of you. It's not what you do, it's who you are. So the cultural value in that day, or in this day, still are very external. It's about how we look and what we have to show for it. And the religious system of the day elevated outward appearance over the condition of the heart. So Jesus was trying to bring some correction. And so he didn't just challenge the values of the world then, he challenged the values of the church in this as he's speaking here. And so again, now we'll go over uh, to uh, this, we'll go, we'll go there in just a second, but we're, we're, we're understanding that the way things happen are different, and Jesus is trying to address that. And let's go back for a second to the games, because I really don't want to miss this point, but here's the idea in today's in today's game, I see my kids when they were younger and having apps and stuff like that on iPads and they're just tapping things, right? Tap, 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 tap. Not moving things around a board. You're not doing anything like creative or you're just tapping on things and clicking on things and you really there's nothing of value to show. And I thought about that from a standpoint of an illustration that how many times in life are we just tapping on things and clicking on things and it seems like there's no goal or nothing to learn or walk away with. And so then I was asking you this question. Have you ever been clicking on something or tapping on something and ask what is the goal of this? Uh, Let me say it this way. Have you ever argued with someone and even if you've won the argument realized there was nothing to gain even if you won it? Have you ever done something to get someone's acknowledgement or approval and realize even if I get it or even if I win their friendship it wasn't worth winning it the way I had to win it? So we need to ask a question not am I playing the game right but am I playing the right game and so you can be playing that and play it the wrong way and miss. So now let's get to Matthew 5, 21. So Jesus now is trying to correct their value system. And here's what he said in 21. He says, you've heard it said, referring back to the way the game has been played. You've heard it said, according to the law, rabbinical law, long ago, you should not murder. Uh, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now listen, and then he follows up every one of those statements. And he says this, but I tell you, That anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone that is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. He changes the game. He brings it back. And he would correct their value. He would say, back in the day, they would say, do not murder. And that's a good thing. But he would say, today, let me say, here's why. Because back in the day, people perfected an outward appearance. that had nothing to do with what was on the inside of them. He's saying, listen, you have worked so hard to look perfect or show something in a way outwardly, an appearance of religion, uh, religion." and now he's saying, Jesus is saying, if the behavior is right, but the the, the, the belief beneath the behavior is not, then you're producing nothing. And so Jesus was saying, shallow values, empty victories, And so you could be doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And he's saying, I want to get you back to the core values. I want to address out what's in you. And he says it here. He says, it's not about just don't murder. He says, don't even go there in anger. Now he's speaking to something in you. He says, because if you go there in anger and you allow that hatred to stay within you and the inner part of who you are, eventually it will deteriorate your value. It will deteriorate your spiritual growth and health. And he says, then you don't have to murder to be imprisoned. You'll put yourself in a self-imposed prison of hatred. You see what Jesus is doing? He's taking the value system of the day, which was based on external things, and addressing a behavior in them that would help them more through life. He's keeping score about something different, and it's something on the inside. It's not what you do. It's who you are. And so he's speaking there, because he says, shallow values, empty victories. So Jesus began to teach them beyond the barriers to reach their belief system. And he's trying to dig a little bit deeper within them. Let's take a look at um, Matthew 5, 43 through 44. He says, you've heard it said, here we go again, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And what Jesus is saying here is, you can insist God relate to you one way, And then you can turn around and relate to people another way. What's he talking about? External values. And he's trying to change it to address the internal motivation. He says, if you want God to be gracious to you, that grace has to flow through you. If it's not flowing through you, it won't flow to you. So what's he doing? He's redirecting the external values to something deeper in them internally. And he's saying, this is not about appearance, this is not about favor of people, this is not approval from somebody, this is not acknowledgement of somebody. This is about the value system playing the right game that God is the scorekeeper of. Take a look at Matthew 7, 28 through 29, I love this. Here's what he says, when Jesus had finished his saying or saying these things, the crowd were amazed. Now listen, the crowd were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Because, why were they amazed? Because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of the teachers of the law. Now hold on a second, taught as one who had authority Not as one of the teachers of the law. So does that mean that the teachers of the law all of a sudden now do not teach as people with authority? Why is that? Why why would that be? I mean, that's interesting to me. I read that and I say, why is it talking this way? When he finished teaching, people said that the teachers of the law were not teaching with authority. They had no authority. Why would they say that? It's because they were teaching on the basis of appearance, teaching on the basis of external things and not internal things. And so they're looking at different scorekeepers. They're looking for approval. They're looking for appearance and acknowledgement. And God's saying that's not what it's about. It's what happens on the inside. And so that's what Jesus is correcting. And so Matthew 6 is not so much about behavior as it is about intention. And I love it where it says in Matthew 6, 2, and that's where we open in 6, 1, 6, 2. It says, so when you give, notice it says, say, if you guys want to put that up there, so when you give, notice he doesn't say if you give. Why? Because he's addressing a value, a value that he has. So it's not when, it, and that's not if, it's when. So he dresses that. He says, when you give, not if you give, and he's making the assumption that your actions will align with your values, giving out of a value. Here, here's the thing. We, we wanna know how we're doing in life. And the greatest way to know how, how we're doing in life is not to ask other people or other external factors. My bank account is not a good indicator of whether I'm winning in life or not. The car I drive, the clothes I wear, the house I live in, it's not an indicator of whether I win in life, but, but when my actions match my values, I'm winning, because God's my scorekeeper, and He sees that. And, 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 and you live then from a place, my family then lives from a place that I don't need others to notice. My validation is not from other people. It's from God, who is my scorekeeper. I'm not seeking anybody else's approval. I'm not seeking anybody else's acknowledgement. And maybe we should ask our father how we're doing. See, here's what we need to remember. My father's keeping score. So maybe we should get in the car and say, Dad, how'd I do today? See, if I'm seeking the approval of other people, acknowledgement of other people, it would be dependent upon how they perceive my actions. So if I was to ask my kids... After I punished them, how am I doing as a dad? You're way out of line. You have told totally right in my hands. Depending on what the punishment is. But you know what? They're not my scorekeeper. People aren't my scorekeeper. And we live a life seeking other people's approval or acknowledgement when God is the one who is keeping score for us, and he's the one who rewards if you're seeking it, the scripture says, if you're seeking approval from other people, that's all you're going to get as a reward. What are you seeking and why? Here's what Jesus is saying your reason determines your reward. And whatever nice thing that family might say, whatever nice thing people might say, hey, enjoy that, hold on to that, because that's all you're getting. But God says, if you stay in line with my values as I'm keeping score, then I'm the one to reward you. We don't want the people's reward, which amounts to nothing, we want God's reward. So when we hold on to God's values, it doesn't matter. I don't need the approval of men. I have the approval of my father. And when I get in the car and I ask him, hey dad, how'd I do today? He's gonna be honest with me. Today was a good day, today was a bad day. I would tell my kids, you had a good game, you had a bad game. It was really painful for me to watch it, in fact, actually. But we can do better the next time. Who's keeping score for you? Holding on to the family values that God always intended. Am I winning? You know, today the today the life is crazy. It's changing. Games are changing. Games today are changing. I don't know if you know this, but maybe most the most popular game today, the most popular game today, video game is Fortnite. Fortnite. I heard a little, <laughs> yeah. Fortnite. I played a game or two in my day of Fortnite. So. My, my 18 year old uh, came home, it was, I don't know, a year ago or longer, came home. I was asking her one day, I was like, hey, what's this game I keep hearing about, Fortnite? I see it, i reading stuff, and seeing that some of her friends played it. So she goes, well, let's check it out. So she downloaded it on, on our game or whatever, gaming system. And so we we're playing it. And, and it was interesting, it's fascinating. And so, but what I, what's interesting, interesting to me about this game, it is like the most played game in the world. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of people play this game all over the world. And therefore, it makes just ridiculous amounts of money. And so, we're playing this game and I'm checking it out, trying to understand it, figure it out, and it's like, okay, so if millions, the most played game ever, and they're making bazillions of dollars on it, it's a free game. I don't even mean, you know it's a free game. I have to pay for the game. I have a subscription or whatever, because my Xbox, but I'm like, we don't have to pay for that game. So, what, what is working right here? How are they making money? And so, the way you make money is you, you buy virtual money. So so I gotta spend real money to buy virtual money. Yeah, okay. And so then what do you do with that virtual money? Because we're still trying to figure out how this game makes money. What do you do with the virtual money? Then you take the virtual money and you buy what they call skins. And skins would be like a costume. Skins would be like a uniform. And so then when you get the skins, you take real money and buy virtual money, and you take the virtual money and you buy skins, and that's how the game makes its gazillions of dollars. And so then I thought, well, what do the skins do for you? Do they give you some kind of advantage in the game? Do they make you like uh, impervious to bullets or whatever? Do they they make you stronger? Do they give you like superhero powers? There is no in-game advantage to having a skin on. So understand where I'm going. So we spend, um, all over the world, they spend bazillions of dollars to pay for something that just makes you look good. I'm tired of spending money just to look good for other people, just to please other people so they see my appearance and trying to be cool or trying to be popular. And it amounts to nothing. It gives you no advantage. But your heavenly Father, who is your scorekeeper, when you are in line with his values and you hold on to them regardless of what anybody else does, he's the one that rewards you. See, the Bible talks about that God is watching every, seeing everything you do. And it used to think like when I was a teenager and then when I taught teenagers, or you use that to try and scare them to say the straight and narrow, right? God's watching everything you do. I and mean, this is like this will freak you out. If you're in the closet, if you're wherever in the dark, God's there, He's watching you, everything you do. But understand basically what that and context, what that means is God is keeping score, so it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. God's watching what you do, and He's keeping score, and He's gonna reward you. Reason, the reason you do things determines your reward. And I love that about God. And so we spend so much time, so much effort, so much to make ourselves look good to other people and it doesn't really even make a real difference in our soul in our values or in our families and we have to get to the point where we don't need validation for people to do what's right but it's according to my values so Jesus is saying here is your reason determines your reward and so if you have a deeper reason then you have a greater reward from God and so Jesus talks about that, and he's not talking about. Listen, he's not talking about getting a reward like your reward in heaven, right? He's not talking about getting a reward in another place in this context. Because let's understand. I don't know what that looks like to you. I mean, growing up, you'd think it look like. What's the reward look like to you in heaven? I, I don't know about you, but we think it's like pots of gold, like right? The leprechauns are up there with pots of gold or something like that. You, we just we're reward in heaven. Go. Can I tell you? It doesn't. You're not going to get gold in heaven. The streets are paved with it. He's talking about not having a reward in another place. He's talking about getting a reward from another place. Your father will reward you from heaven. Oh, yes, there's rewards and things that we'll walk in in our life that we'll have in heaven one day, but here he's talking about that you're not just getting a reward in another place. He's talking about getting a reward from another place. And so he's keeping score. And so when I live according to the values he's given me, there is a validation that comes only from him and the world cannot give that. If I do it for other people, the Bible says then I have to get my reward from people. If I stand up here and do this for you, and I love you, then you hold my reward. And so I'll be moved by every emotion, everything to please and appease and all that, and you don't want that from me. You want me to say the things that God's saying, because whether you want to hear them or not, amen? But I have to stand up here then and know that my reward for what I say I believe comes from God. And so if your reward, you're looking for other people to hold your reward, that's all you're going to get. So you have to hold on to those values and know that he's keeping score and he's watching you and understand that he's, he's taking us deeper because shallow reasons, empty seasons, shallow reasons, empty victory. I don't do things because I have to do them. I do them because I love him. And whatever your reason is, that's your reward. I'm giving to God. I'm serving God. Not so people will notice. And not so I don't go to hell, if you will. But because he's been good to me. He's my father. And he's a rewarder. And he loves me. Whatever your reason is controls your reward. So in the Sermon on the Mount, you see values that need to be the core of who we are. In fact, they should come automatic to us. We should own those so much and operate and those of the band will come on out. They should be automatic to us. Automatic to us the way they respond or act not the ways of the world. You know Matthew 6.3 can we put six three back up there again guys? I know I didn't ask for that but Matthew 6.3 I want to read this notice this but when you give to the needy now look at this next phrase do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and that's interesting to me what is that? It's so confusing Here's what I believe it says. That when you get into God's values and you hold on to them and you follow them and you operate in them so much, you, get to, you should get to a point you don't have to think about it. It should be automatic to you. I mean, you're holding on to these, and despite the pressure from the world, to try, the, the, the pressure to get validation or approval or acceptance from somebody else, but you're following God's values no matter what, and you're, you're, you're locking them in, and now all of a sudden you've gotten to a place that you're doing them over and over, you're holding on to them, it becomes automatic to you, much like this. I never learned how to play an instrument. I wish I would have. I took guitar lessons and quit. My mom was a piano teacher. I quit. My mom, right? Had to live in the same house. That was a little awkward, but so. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could play, but I can't. It's just not, I have many other wonderful gifts. Let me just, going to tell you that right now, okay? So, but I wish, but here's what it looks like to me. Here's what this scripture looks like to me. And Troy's up here. Is your guitar on? Could you turn your guitar? Troy's up here. Now, Troy's playing guitar, and he's played guitar a long time, and he loves it. But I'll guarantee you, when Troy's playing the guitar in certain songs, at least unless he's learned something new, he doesn't have to look and see what his left hand's doing. He doesn't have to look and see what his right hand is doing. And so, could you just play a little bit of come and breathe here? Now, close your eyes. Orlando, can you? Let's jump in with them. I don't know if they're all turned on back right there. But yeah. Petey, can you play? Let's jump in there. Matt, I mean, you got hands and feet. automatic. You don't have to look and see what your right hand's doing and then look and see what your left hand's doing and try and figure out is it doing this chord? Is it playing this beat? Is it doing that? And that's what this passage is saying. they saying that you should own you should hold on to God's values. Jesus is saying hold on to his values and let them be, let them dig deep down inside of you and be a part of who you are. So no matter what's happening around about you, it doesn't matter who else is keeping score, that your father in heaven, the scorekeeper, is pleased because you're doing them over and over and over again, so much so that they should become automatic to you. You don't even have to think about it. You know when you come into a situation, you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. What's my decision going to be? And here's the thing too. You should do them over and over again. And your hope is and your prayer is that when your children are over, they don't even have to think about it. They don't have to relearn it because they've seen it. They've seen it operating. And so it just becomes automatic. What's my right hand? It doesn't matter. Just close your eyes and make a decision based on the values that he's put inside of you, knowing that your father in heaven is your rewarder. He's your scorekeeper. He's watching you. He will reward you. oh man, and he is, he's a good and faithful God. Let's pray, bow your heads, close your eyes. My heart, my hope today on Mother's Day is to encourage families to hold on to who God is and what he's put in your life. Don't be moved by the things that are happening. And the game is changing. It's changing constantly, but the question is, are you not, the question is not are you playing the game right? The question is, are you playing the right game And there's so many scorekeepers out there, but none of them matter because none of them can meet the need in your soul. We need to get tired, if you will, spending money and energy on things that don't give us any advantage and just trust God and get in line with his value system. Hold on to that and know that he is a rewarder.